All right. We're going to talk about love today. It's Valentine's Day. How many of you knew that? How many guys forgot it? Don't raise your hand. Larry, you are in so much trouble. No wonder there's a seat between you and Pam, okay? Bob didn't forget. He's right next to his bride. Larry forgot, and there's a seat of separation there, okay? Uh, you, this is something you don't want to forget. Jeremy Jacobs reminded us on Facebook with a, 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 po uh, a post of tremendous wisdom yesterday. He reminded us that this is the annual day that we celebrate when St. Valentine's head was cut off. Isn't it nice to be encouraged? <laughs> and here's your chocolate-covered strawberries. I mean, you know, it, it really kind of took a little bit out of the romance of the holiday. Um, but it's Valentine's Day. It seems like a great day to talk about love. And actually, this whole month, we're talking about strong love. And when you talk about strong love, you can't talk about love any stronger than the love of God. So we're going to dig into it a little bit today. And you might hear something that you've never heard before. Or you might be reminded of some things that sometimes slip away from our thinking. I like to follow people on Facebook from time to time. Are there any other Facebook stalkers out there? Yeah, and then you pretend it's discernment later. You know, the Lord told me that, and you actually just saw the pictures, but um, I've, a friend of mine posted the other day, he's like, I don't know if I'll have any friends left after this presidential campaign. And it was apparent that people that they were connected to, that their ideologies are different, and it was becoming really challenging for that person. And I thought to myself, I kind of enjoyed reading about it, and I kind of laughed about it. I read things and opinions, I'm like, oh, I so disagree with that, but I don't want that to have me cease my love for the person that posted that opinion. How many you know that the more you get to know someone, honestly, the more you have to choose to love them? You just have, Beth's seen the best of me, I hope. She's also seen the worst of me. And she chooses to love me anyway. And I remember when we went on our first date, and we went out to eat, and we sat across the booth from each other off Broadway Street at uh, Rome's Pizzeria in Columbia, Missouri. And we were sitting there, and I am gazing at this girl that is absolutely gorgeous with spiral curls, thinking, how did I get so lucky to go out with this girl? And I am not going to let her get away. Even if I have to poison her, I'm going to keep her as my own so that she can't go to... Right? I mean, this... And we're talking about life. We're talking about ministry. Beth, at that time, was a junior in college, and she was leading a ministry in North St. Charles where she was going and, and gathering children and bringing them in for a Saturday Sunday school program. Every single week she was doing that. She was leading that. I was just captivated by her heart for the Lord and by her heart for ministry. Well, now I've, I've, I, I, I got to see her, and just in that moment of first impression, that's one thing. It's another thing to be married for 21 years. And we've been cranky with each other. She a lot more than me. I want you guys to know that. It's, let's just get it out in the open, okay? I, I carry a heavy cross, guys. I carry a heavy cross. But she's amazing. And I see her talents and her gifts. And I also see her challenges and the things that the Lord's working on. But I adore this woman. I love this woman. And one of the things that amazes me is that sometimes the more we get to know people, people use statements like, well, I'm falling out of love. What they might want to say is, I'm in, a, I'm in a stage where I've seen the worst and the best, and we're having to choose to continue to love and to walk it out. Sophia's 11, and she was our cuddler when she was three, four, five years old. And I remember one day she climbed up on my lap, and I'm kind of giving her a squeeze and giving her a cuddle, and I'm like, Sophia, I love you. And she goes, Daddy, I love your love. And I thought, oh, that's so precious. She loves me. And I thought... She didn't say she loves me. 
She said, I love your love. I'm like, you selfish little booger. You should not just love my love, you should love me. How many don't want your love just to be loved? You want to be loved. And there's a difference between loving love and loving a person, but I get it. I'm glad that she knows her daddy loves her. I'm glad that she loves her daddy's love, but let's be honest, dad wants to be loved back a little bit. We had a wedding this weekend, Chris and Chloe from our church. We'll all clap for them next week when they're here if they make it back from the honeymoon in time. But they, they got married in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. How many of you have ever been to Excelsior Springs? Have you been to the Elm Spa? Claim to fame is that uh, President Truman went there back in the day. So it's a spot, it was renovated. They put about $11 million into renovating it. You see these couples walking around their robes all over the place, which is a little freaky, you know, but it's a spa and it's romantic getaway and it's Valentine's weekend and Pastor Josh and I were there. It was fantastic and... <laughs> We were there for this wedding, and uh, it was just really a nice time. I enjoyed connecting with you, Pastor Josh. And while we were there and we're hanging out, I thought, you know what, I'm going to text Sophia, because she had an upwards basketball game on Saturday. So Friday night, I, I sent her a text. We'll go ahead. I, I asked John to capture it. Notice at the top, Sophia Riley. Notice the little turd emoji, because she put that there. She, she likes that. And I said, hey, kiddo, hope you're having a good night. I miss you. See you tomorrow and play great tomorrow. Love you. Look what I got back. Okay. <laughs> I miss you. I love you. Play great. Okay. Any other parents? Isn't that a little ridiculous? Yes. That's all I get's an okay? I don't even get a love you, daddy. So look at this. Love you so much. Kiss, 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 kiss. Love you too, you little turd. See that? How many know when you got to ask for it? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, she's still the girl that loves her daddy's love. She was with her BFF Macy, so I'm sure that took way too much time just to click a few emojis with her thumb, right? Here's a thought, and we'll use it to lead into the message today. It's not enough to love love. We have to love people. And that is challenging because people are challenging. Not everybody is as wonderful and perfect and as put together as you are. Right? I mean, it's true. We're amazing and we deal with everybody else. Right? There, there, it's love is challenging. So let's discover it today. Look in 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. These were from the pens of the old apostle John. He is the only apostle that was not martyred for his faith. Did you know that? Judas betrayed Christ and killed himself. Of the other 11, 10 of them were martyred for their faith. John suffered greatly. He was exiled to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. He suffered a lot for the gospel, but at least he was allowed to live out his full life. And older in his life, as a matter of fact, the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were some of the latest writings in the New Testament. So we don't go by the order that they are in the Bible. These were some of the latest writings in the New Testament. Look at this statement. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Then he makes this statement, verse 19. We love because he, referring to God, first loved us. Now, this is at the end of a great chapter. In John chapter 4, at the beginning of it is where we get that famous verse. Greater is the spirit that is in me than the spirit that is where? In the world. Have you ever wondered why that was put there? Well, Pastor Brad, because his spirit in me is greater. That's true. 
And that would be enough of a reason. But contextually, let me remind you why. When John wrote the church, there were a group of people called Gnostics that were coming in and providing some false teaching to the church. They have four or five things they really focused on. I'll just share one or two for background for you. One of their philosophies was, if it was physical, it was bad. It was just bad. If you could touch it, it was corrupted. So your body was corrupted, okay? If it was flesh, it was bad. Now, I'm not saying that I can't do bad things with my flesh. I can, but God made me. He created me. He gave me a body. He doesn't say that my body's bad at all. The Gnostics did. The flesh is bad. Here's where their theology went. Because they believed their flesh was bad, there was nothing they could do about it. So they could continue to partner with whatever immoral behavior they wanted to because the flesh was bad anyway and it didn't really matter. All right? My flesh is bad, so I'll continue to do all of these things that every one of us would be like, wow, that's crazy. I'll continue to do them because it doesn't really matter. It's not my flesh that's going to be saved. It's my spirit. They didn't even believe that God sent Jesus in the flesh. They almost believed that he was more of a, just an appearance, a vision that they could see. And that he came to reveal God, but he didn't really have flesh. That's why at the beginning of 1 John, John says, we have seen him, we have touched him. He wanted them to know, you can't touch a vision, but we could touch Jesus. So in 1 John 4, he reminds them that the spirit that is in us is greater than the spirit that is in the world. And he says, if people say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, they're not from God. You need to realize that the incarnation happened. God put uh, the clothing of humanity on and he came after you and me. You need to trust that. And that led into a discussion throughout 1 John chapter 4 where he says, man, this is an amazing love of God. What's the amazing love of God? That he left heaven and put on humanity to come after you and me. We can trust it. We can trust him. We've put our arms around love and his name is Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's where the famous verse comes in and he says, God is love. And about two verses later, he transitions here. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. In other words, I don't have to be afraid of what they're saying about my body. I don't have to be afraid of what they say about anything physical. I don't have to be afraid about what they say about God. I want to focus on what God says about God. And what God says about God is this. Here is my son in the flesh. I love you. I'll pay the price for you. I'll raise from the dead for you. And one of these days, I'm coming back for you. I know if it wasn't so snowy, somebody would amen me on that one because that'll preach, okay? He loves you. He paid an incredible price for you. You can trust him. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What does that mean, Pastor Brad? I still have some fears. I still struggle with some things. This isn't talking about learning how to stand against a spirit of fear. This is saying if you're still fearing God and his intention to you, you haven't been made perfect in him yet. I, don't, I honor God and I revere God and I fear him in the sense of humility and honor, but I'm not afraid of him. I want Sophie to show me reverence and respect as her father, but I don't want her to be afraid of her dad. She needs to know that if something's going on, I'm going to step up and I'm going to stand in the gap for her. How many parents want that for their children? How many children want that from their parents? 
I'm going to step up. I'm going to give her covering. Don't, don't be afraid of me. You respect the way that God calls you to. I'm going to give you covering, sweetheart. I'm going to protect you. We're going to get through this thing. I remember when Emma was little, she would get so nervous walking into a crowd of people. I say little. I mean, she was five foot at three years old, but little to us. Now, I remember we had a little code that we'd hold hands, and I would say, hey, when we walk in, if you get nervous, just squeeze my hand twice and let me know. And I can't tell you how many times we'd be walking in, first day of meeting her new teacher at Crossroads Elementary School or wherever, and I would get two squeezes. She didn't have to say she was nervous. She didn't have to look up and get my attention. She already had it. And the response that I had was three squeezes. I love you. Because if you walk in the security of knowing that someone loves you, you can face anything. And I want her to know that. I walk in the security of God's love for me. And when I walk into a room and I get nervous and I get anxious, I know that God loves me, he is in me, and he's going to bring me through. I love you. Once you've been brought into relationship, you're not afraid anymore. We love because he first loved us. Do you realize the only reason any of us can love is because God loves? It's the only reason that it works. Look at this thought. The incarnation of Jesus was the physical indication of the love of God given for our salvation. I almost brought in a gift box, but it seemed to fall short of capturing this thought. But I'm going to find myself describing it anyway. That if, if the flesh, the body of Jesus is like a gift box, it allows us to open up and to see that the love of God has been captured. It, God put on flesh. He became incarnate for us. Does God love you? Yes. How do I know? He sent Jesus. Does, does God still care for me? Yes. How do I know? Because Jesus died for you. I mean, honestly, that's all the proof of the love of God that you'll ever need. And he continues to give, and he continues to pour out grace on us because he's just that kind of a God. But the life of Jesus is all the evidence that I need. Look in John chapter 15, verse 13. You guys know this verse. It might have even been a memory verse for you as a kid. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I've read the Bible enough, and I'm sure you have too, that there are times you've read it and verses stick out, and you think the context of the verse is sticking out. And when I think about this verse, I tend to think of it this way. Jesus standing before his disciples and saying, guys, there's no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, just like I'm getting ready to do for you. That's how I tend to remember it. But when I was preparing for this message this week and reread John 15, that's not the context. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's in there as an inference, but it's not the main point. The main point of John 15 is that we are already connected to God because Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches and you're connected to me. Now, if there's a branch that's dead, my father's gonna cut that branch off. If there's a branch that's connected but it doesn't have any fruit, he's gonna prune that branch. How many love a good pruning season? All right, I'm gonna prune, because he wants you to be more fruitful. How many know that a branch isn't there for itself, a branch is there for the fruit? Right? The fruit's supposed to be displayed and evident. So he's going to prune us back. Have you went through those moments 
because you want, he wants you to be even more, you're like, thanks for cutting on me again, Lord, I appreciate that. You're reading your Bible, he deals with you about something, you're like, prune, snip, ouch, bam, right? He deals with us about things. So he says he's going to prune you back so that you'll be even more fruitful. And then he begins to identify what the fruit is. Now, I was brought up in the church that the fruit of a good Christian life was you didn't cuss. You didn't smoke. You didn't drink. You didn't chew. You didn't date girls that smoked, drank, or chewed. I grew up in Columbia. There were a few of them that did. Some of them could spit better than some of the guys in our high school. Okay? So the fruit was not saying certain things, not doing certain things, not behaving certain ways. This whole chapter, Jesus doesn't even talk about the outward behavior of people. He just says you need to be connected to the vine. And as you're connected to the vine, there's fruit that happens. I'm going to call it everything is possible, okay? Or as Sophia used to sing when she was little, remember the song, All Things Are, po- um, All Things Are Possible? She would sing, all things are popsicles. I'm like, life's good when all things are popsicles. So everything is possible. John 15, 3, Jesus says, you're made clean through my word. Listen, if you feel dirty, if you feel accused of the enemy, I'm never good enough, I don't do enough, blah, 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 all that stuff that comes at you, according to God's word, you're made clean, not through the things that you do, you're made clean through the word of God. Jesus said, I've spoken this word to you. You've already been made clean. I love it. It's in past tense. You've already been made clean. You're made clean through the word. That is one of the fruits of being connected to Jesus. Number two, you are given what you ask for in prayer. Pastor Brad, will God honor my prayers? Are you kidding me? He's the one that gave us this whole thing anyway. He's the one that said, call to me. I'll answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. He's the one that, he laid it out wanting us to pursue him. What are, what are the fruits of being connected to Jesus? Well, according to John 15, you're made clean through the word. According to John 15, you're given what you ask for in prayer. How about this one? Verse 12, you can love each other the way I love you. This is one of the fruits of being in Christ Jesus. You can love other people the way that Jesus does. That's crazy, isn't it? Think about the love that God has. Think about the disciples that he gathered for himself. I don't know if you've done much historical study on the disciples. Let me just mention a couple of them. Let's talk about Simon the Zealot. Do you know who Simon the Zealot hated? The Romans. Could not stand them. He was with a group of people that wanted to liberate the Jews from Roman oppression. So he was with a group of people that were known to assassinate Roman leaders. And are you ready for this? Those who collected taxes for the Romans. Simon the Zealot. Jesus chose him to be a disciple. Jesus also chose a guy named, we call him Matthew. He's also called Bartholomew. He was called to be a disciple. What was his job? Do you remember? He was a tax collector. For who? The Romans. Jesus brought his disciples and said, I want you guys to walk with me. Simon, you're one of them. Bartholomew, you're another. And you know Bartholomew thought, I am never going to get any rest. Because if I'm traveling with these guys and I have to sleep close to these guys, I am sleeping with one eye open. Because as soon as Simon gets close, I am a dead man. And you know Simon had to be thinking, how could he choose him? 
I mean, we are God's chosen people. The land has been given to Israel. He's supposed to be the Messiah for Israel. Why would he choose that traitor? Guy's an absolute traitor. He's stealing from our people. I want to kill him. Then the Lord says, I want you guys to come and follow me. Come on, that's a crazy group of disciples. It's crazy. These were the people that he said, hey, let's go and let's travel together. Let's be a band of brothers and change the world. No wonder people were so freaked out by him. Did they always get along? Are you kidding me? Scripture says that one day they're walking along the, the road with Jesus and they're having a discussion. How many know that discussion is a code word for argument? We need to go and have a discussion about some things. What were they discussing? You ready for this one? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? That's what they're discussing. They are trying to decide among the 12 of them, which one of us is the best. How many of that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before our fall? These guys are traveling with Jesus. He's casting out devils. He's working the miracles. He's changing the world. And they're arguing about who the greatest one is. James and John, the sons of thunder. I think the name was actually Alpheus, but it means thunder. So they were the sons of thunder. And they said, you know what? We got a request that we're going to ask of Jesus. So rather than the sons of thunder asking Jesus, they went to mom. Hey, uh, mom, could you ask Jesus a question for us? Well, sure, boys. You're my little angels. You might be 75, but you're still mama's babies. Okay. Well, what, what question do you want me to ask Jesus for you? Well, maybe one of us could sit on his right side and one in the, on his left side in his future kingdom. That would be really cool. I just think that would be great. You're just so special, not just to me, but to Jesus. So she goes to Jesus, hey, would you grant me this request? What is it? Can one of my sons sit on your right and one on your left in your future kingdom? He's like, you don't even know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? They're like, sure we are. They had no clue, did they? Have you ever said yes when you had no clue? Okay, you're like, wow, I got myself stuck in this one. Yeah, sure we can. When the other disciples heard what these two guys had done, they were indignant. They were, they were so, fr there was such division. I mean, we're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, leading 12 people, and they were divided. You ever went through a church split? Jesus was dealing with it. He was on the edge of it. And he says to them, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, what do you do? Serve all. He went right to the heart of the issue. He's like, you better humble, your, humble yourselves, guys. And not only did he talk to them about it, but he demonstrated because when they went into the room, he took off his outer garment, he filled up the basin with water, and he washed the feet of the very guys that were arguing about who the greatest was. He showed them humility by example. The God that spoke everything into existence watched, washed dirty, stinky feet. How many you know toes aren't pretty? They're just not pretty. If you're one of those people that think they're pretty, you got issues and you need to come to the altar and you need to pray. They are not, they're not pretty, okay? And he washed them and he dealt with them. Everything is possible. You can love each other. You can love that person at work that drives you insane. You can love the person at church that drives you insane. You can love the person in the house that drives you insane. It's a fruit of being connected to the Lord, okay? We're discovering love today. 
Here's an observation. Because of God's great love, miracles happen. Sinners are made saints. Prayers are answered. And love for others is possible. Self-sacrificing love. It's possible. Let's go to the second point. I spent too long on the first one. Second one is this. We're going to define love. Now, there are three primary Greek words for love. There's a couple of others that have love in them, but we're going to focus on three. The first one that we'll refer to today is eros. How many of you have heard of that one before? Okay, eros. Eros is where we get the concept of sensual, romance, erotic. And don't think perversion when I say erotic. I know we're in a culture, you hear the word erotic, it's like, oh, no. It, that's not what it was. I don't know if you ever, how many of you ever dated? Those of you that are married, did you date the person that you married? Did you, or did, you, did they fall out of the sky, land on you, and say, I chose you, okay? You date, and you go out, and you get to know each other, and sometimes you hold hands, and you get a little chill that runs down the back. Have you ever had the little love chill that kind of runs down the back of your neck? You feel that little, woo, she's holding my hand, and she's gorgeous, right? Or he's holding my hand, and he is handsome. Your mom's thinking, that's the ugliest thing you've ever dated in my life, but you are infatuated by love. How many of you, it's been so long since you felt those little things, you don't even know what I'm talking about, and you need us to lay hands on you and believe for a miracle, okay? Yeah, I, when Beth and I started dating, I was thinking, she, her, she must not have good eyesight. Why is she hanging out with me? I mean, this is a gorgeous girl. And we'd go walking, we'd hold hands, and you know, you've moved into a really serious relationship when you interlock fingers. How do you know what I'm talking about? That interlocking is a big stage. You sit down to watch a movie together, and you start rubbing thumbs. Have you been there? You just rub the skin off. You look down, the bone's visible by the time you get, but it, it's all because of love, right? And you just think, I don't want this movie to end. I just want to keep holding her hand. I want to keep rubbing. Now we go to a movie. There's the biggest thing of popcorn between us. And, and we're like, I just don't want this movie to end. I just want to keep eating this popcorn, right? Things change a little bit. Eros is okay. God actually gave it to us. He wants us to have romance. He wants us to have sensual. He wants us to have that. But I will mention, the disciples were never commanded to have this for one another. You know the verse when he says, hey, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, it was not Eros. I've actually heard people, I've heard that brought up. That's insane. He wasn't telling the disciples to have romantic feelings for one another. That's not the kind of love he was talking about. Second love we'll mention is phileo. Phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia. Phileo means brotherly love or family love. It's a strong love. It's the kind of love that you stand up shoulder to shoulder with your brother when there's a moment. I'm here for you. I've got your back. We're going to stand together. We're going to face this thing together. Beth and I went through a challenging situation in our lives about eight years ago, and, and I remember calling my family. I'm like, we need you guys. And Scott and Ginger packed up their four kiddos, and they came to our house, and mom and dad came to the house, and my brother Kurt came to the house, and we all camped out, and our, fa our family rallied around us in a time when we really needed them. That is brotherly love. That's like, okay, whatever's going on, I'm going to be there for you. I'm on my way. I will mention this. I think it's interesting that Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, is known as one of the most hateful cities in our country. And I just want you to know, in the spiritual atmosphere, never underestimate how the enemy wants to steal things that are supposed to be there. Just never underestimate that. I won't preach about it. It's just a thought. Last word, love, that we're going to use is agape. And this is self-sacrificial. This isn't just brother to brother, I'm going to stand with you in this fight. This is, hey, you get out of here. What? No, this is my fight. No, it's not anymore. 
get out of here. But, but, but no, don't do that. Get your kids, get out of here. I'm going to take this one for you. I'm going to step. Somebody's breaking into the house. What do you want me to do? I want you to get everybody else out of here, and they're not getting past me. That's self-sacrificial love. By the way, over and over again, that's the way that God describes his love for us. He doesn't just come to stand alongside us, even though he does stand alongside us. But it's greater than that. It's, I'll take it for you. I'll take the punishment. I'll take the stripes. I'll take the accusations. I'll take all of it because of my love for you. I will love you that way. I'm going to mention this again. I'm going to refer back to one day to feed the world. It's not the greatest sacrifice I've ever made in my life, okay? I just prayed about what we were supposed to do. And what we were supposed to do has nothing to do with what we need to do for ourselves right now. It doesn't. Could this money go toward fixing whatever's going on with the car? You bet it could, except that would be completely disobedient from what I know the Lord's calling us to do right now. The car will take care of itself. We're going to burn it and we're going to collect insurance. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Carl, take care of itself. But we're going to be obedient. Listen, church, one of the reasons I love you is because you get it that your neighbor isn't just the person next door. It's whoever's in need that God makes you aware of. I mean, isn't that what Jesus taught us when he taught us the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor's a stranger who's been beaten up and accused. And you recognize they're in a moment of brokenness and you can make a difference. That's who your neighbor is. My neighbor are these ladies that are going to be empowered in the, in the women's empowerment program through this. My neighbor are the little kids in Haiti. They're my neighbors. And their stomachs and their needs are just as important to the Lord as Emma's and Sophia's. They're just, they matter just as much. So God, do what only you can do through it. Observation is this. Love is not just a pontification of philosophy. It's a demonstration of practical support to the needy. I'm probably going to have to skip part of my, uh, my message. for you. I, It seems like I'm doing that for the second service every week because I'm expounding more than I am in the first service. But when I think about this, I talk to a lot of people that tell me what the church should be doing. Now, they don't go to church, and they throw rocks at the church, but they always have an answer of what the church should be doing. There's one gentleman in my life. I love him. I care about him dearly. He thinks he's changed the world because he bought a pair of Toms. I, that is his giving for the year. I, I am glad that Toms gives shoes to people in need. And by the way, did you know that Toms partners with Convoy of Hope? Convoy of Hope distributes those shoes. So I, I'm glad that he's done that. I think it's amazing. But you know, there's more to life to helping others than buying a pair of shoes for yourself. That actually the company then makes the donation on your behalf. There's, uh, you, buying fair trade coffee isn't all we can do. But it's, any, it's interesting. Anybody's willing to talk about social justice and poverty and helping till we have to reach into our pocket when we have a car payment and an electric bill, and a credit card that got more on it last month than we meant to. Anybody else live in the real world? You see, it's real people with real stuff, with real challenges 
that still step up and say, Lord, I'm, this, I'm not just going to allow love to be a philosophy. I'm going to allow it to be a demonstration through my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 hits it, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, if we read earlier that God is love, we could insert God's name here. You ever done that before? I've done that in prayer times. God, you're patient. God, you're kind. God, you don't envy. God, you don't boast. God, you're not proud. Because I want to put my mind around the goodness of who God is. And we all know this isn't all the description of love, but it's part of the description of love. Now, I'm called to love the way that he loves. Let's put my name in there. Brad is, wow, and the first thing is patient? Are you kidding me? How many were going to practice patience and you got tired of it? Okay. When I look at this, I'm like, Lord, that only happens through your Holy Spirit. That only happens through you living in me. God, I want people to be able to say these things of me, but you're going to have to do that through my life. I want to live that way. Where do we go from here? How do we wrap this thing up today? We're going to talk about love again next week, but let's, let's find a place that we can kind of stop for today, and then we'll all battle the roads back home, all right? I want to turn to John chapter 21, and I want to wrap it up with this. How many of you, it'll save us a lot of time, like a whole minute and a half if you remember this, but how many of you remember Simon Peter denied Jesus on the, on the night that he was crucified, the eve of his crucifixion, he denied him even to a servant girl, and then he went and hid because he was ashamed, and then when Jesus rose from the dead, he told the lady that met him at the garden, he said, go tell the disciples and Simon Peter that I'm alive. How many of you remember that? Everybody remember that? Okay. So we'll speed up then. Jesus has been showing himself to his disciples, spending time with them. And this is before he's ascended back to his father. And one morning, Simon Peter didn't know what else to do but to go fishing. And he went out and he spent time fishing. And he's out trying to catch some fish. And he's not having any good results. And Jesus goes to the shoreline that day and begins to roast some fish. Where did Jesus get it? He's Jesus. He just did it because he's amazing. And Simon Peter looks up and he's like, is that Jesus? And Jesus calls and, hey, throw your net on the other side. And remember, they throw the net in and they catch so many fish that it about capsizes the little boat that they're in. And Peter's like, that's got to be Jesus. And how many of you love it when somebody finally discerns something? We've just pulled in more fish than are in this lake. That's got to be Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat, leaves the guys there with the fish, with the boat going under, and he works his way back to the shore. When he gets there, Jesus is roasting fish on the fire. And after they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, how many remember that the first time Jesus met Simon, son of John, he said, no longer are you Simon, but your name is Peter, which means rock. How many knew that? First time he met him, he changed his name. And yet... In this moment, Jesus is referring back to his former name. And I, I didn't read any commentaries on this. I didn't do any exegetical hermeneutic. Aren't you thankful for that? I just looked at it, and I just thought to myself, perhaps it's because Simon, son of John, didn't feel like much of a rock in that moment. 
He knew that he had denied Jesus. And if Jesus would have said, hey, rock, he would have been like, yeah. He's Simon, son. I'm just kind of wondering. Simon, son of John, do you love, and notice the brackets. I put in the Greek word. That's not in the text. Just because I want to show you something that I think is interesting. Do you love, what word is that? Agape. What love is that? Self-sacrificial. Do you agape me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love, what word's there? Phileo. You know that I love you. I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you, look what Jesus did. He changed his word. What did he say? Do you phileo me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love. I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. And you went where you wanted to, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I'm going to close with just a thought about this. I believe he referred to him as Simon, son of John, because Simon was thinking of himself as Simon, son of John. I'm still the same guy I was when Jesus met me three years ago. I didn't even have enough courage to stand in front of a servant girl and say that I was his disciple. Now listen, this is, this is speaking to somebody in this room right now. There's some people in this room, you've given your life to Christ, but you don't feel like you've made it very far at all because of recent failures, thought life, mistakes, whatever. And you feel the same way he did. You're like, I feel like I've done the same thing. So I'm supposed to be this strong rock in the Lord, and yet I've done this again. And the Lord comes to us, and he's, he sees where we see ourselves. And he's willing to take us right where we are and to start his work in our life. Simon, do you agape me? How many you know that Simon would have felt like a hypocrite if he would have said that he did? How could I say I self-sacrificially love you when just a few days ago I hid away and denied that you existed and I cursed your own name? Let me ask you this. Have you ever blown it? As a follower of Christ, have you ever, whatever blown it is for you? Guy, you love the Lord with all your heart, you love your wife, and you looked at pornography. And you walk in on a Sunday morning, and somebody looks at you and they say, Come on in, mighty man of God. And you're like, If you only knew. Are you sworn? I'm never going to gossip about anyone else again. And you're on the phone and you're letting somebody have it before you even realize it. And you walk in and somebody says, you are such a dear friend in the Lord. And you're thinking, I am the biggest hypocrite there ever was. Has anybody else ever sinned and felt guilty about it? Am I the only one that's ever sinned? Four of us, thank you. We'll have, we'll have Jimmy John's later. Simon blew it. Simon didn't feel like he could be called a rock. And he sure didn't feel like he could say he had self-sacrificial love. And Jesus said to him then, 
you phileo me. And when he did, it said that Peter was hurt. You know why Peter was hurt? It's because Jesus changed his vocabulary. He basically said, okay, I'm willing to take the love that you believe that you have for me right now and we'll go from there. You don't have to be able to love Jesus perfectly. You just have to be able to love Jesus who, the way you are right now and just say, here I am. I'll give you what I have to give. And then at the end of this, notice what happens. Jesus says to Peter, hey, when you were a kid, you got dressed, you did what you wanted, but there's a day coming. You're not going to do what you want to do. Somebody else is going to be leading you. What was he prophesying about? Peter's death. How many remember how Peter died? Anybody remember? He was crucified. Let me tell you a little twist, though. When they were nailing him to that cross, Peter looked at those that were executing him, and he said, I'm not worthy to die the way my Messiah did, flip the cross upside down. And they put the cross in the ground upside down, and there was this man, naked, dying, upside down for the world to see, you know how he was able to do that? Because he had agape love. He had self-sacrificial love. This guy that blew it, that denied, that fell flat, that felt accused and condemned, he did exactly what Jesus said. Just follow me. And if you'll follow me, I will work the love in you so that what is needed will be ready at just the right time. I'm going to ask you this. This isn't a egotistical question, I'm just going to ask, how many love the Lord more today than you did last week? Or if you can't measure that, how many love him more than you did five years ago? Can you? He does it. As your pastor, as a friend in the Lord, I'm challenging you to love him. Just love him. Pastor Brad, what? just follow. Just follow. Where he leads you, what he speaks to you, just follow. And don't worry so much about, is it phileo? Is it agape? Am I getting it? You know what? If you'll just follow, he will work out everything that needs to be worked out in you and through you. Come on. His love's enough. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I wouldn't preach it if I didn't believe it. Okay? And I wish I could tell you that your pastor was always the man of faith and power, that as soon as there was a need, I was willing to sacrifice myself to go ye therefore into all the world. I'm not. I'm a guy that loves Jesus. I just love him. And there are days I feel like my love's really strong, and there are days that it feels like it's weak, but I've learned enough not to go by the way that I feel. And I'm just going to walk after him. And if I walk after him, should those moments arise where I end up facing something that I don't want to face, just like Peter did, by God's grace, I'll be ready. Because if I'll just follow, he'll do the work. And I'm telling you, he'll do the same thing for you. He'll do the same thing for you.